if I was at a music festival. It was really fun to start this rumor where I would tell people that Gary Busey was there and just like see if the misinformation could sort of make its way through the crowd. And then one time, the person putting on the festival, two days later, was like, dude, you guys hear Gary Busey's here? I was like, yes. Oh, that's amazing. I did it. Journos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. It's funny that you practiced misinformation you didn't create the social network of the festival, but you recognize that there are certain algorithms in play, like a bunch of people who are chit-chatting, mm-hmm. who are drunk or possibly stoned yep. or both, and therefore more amenable, more receptive mm-hmm. to information. And that what are you going to talk about other than interesting stuff that gets fed into the system? Yeah. So you said, I'm sure it was an intense and conscious calculation, <laughs> let me deposit a large chunk of data yes. right into this into this thing and see what happens. Yeah, Gary Busey is the perfect chunk of data cuz it's just right. it's not like Bradley Cooper's here. You wouldn't be like Tom Cruise is here. You can't get greedy, right, right. with this stuff. You have to think of someone who's kind of crazy and wily. Oh, I could imagine that and it's funny cuz then the payoff for people believing <laughs> you know, Busey showed up to this, you know, Electronic yeah. Music Festival is is just funny too, right? Yeah. But also, it was a single data point yes. rather than, I heard Gary Busey's here. I heard he's selling crystal meth. Mm-hmm. I heard he's got a vendetta against one of the musicians. Yeah. And then you see how that comes back to you. No, it's like, Gary Busey's here. It's just a binary. Yeah. You know, it's like you've just toggled the Busey <laughs> switch into the on position. And, like, then, <laughs> and then it comes back to you without I, <laughs> too much information loss yeah. from point to point. I wish there was a Busey switch. Don't we all? That'd be funny. If right now you just be like, he's like, hey, it was big old teeth. You know, that may be an innovation that could be brought soon to Twitter. Huh. The Busey switch? Yeah. Seems like a rogue and cavalier and sort of exciting thing to do. You know, Elon Musk, Stephen, uh, has bought Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. has purchased it. $44 billion. Good Lord. And the question is like, what does it mean now that he's taken over? What's it going to do to free speech? What's it going to do to speech in a corporate space? Today, we're going to talk about free speech a little bit as predicated by Elon's purchase of a little outfit called Twitter. So it'd been percolating. Now it's a done deal. And of course, everyone in the world is talking about it. Of course, Twitter is talking about it a lot too. Yeah. The progression of events was uh, seemed a little sneaky, right? He came forward as uh, one of the majority shareholders of Twitter stock, right? Then mm-hmm. he was offered a seat on the board, rejected it, and then turned back around and said, no, I want to buy the company. And then the Twitter board freaked out and tried to institute something called a poison pill, which would prevent anybody from owning more than 15% of the company. If you buy that much of the company, then all of a sudden all these new shares will be released onto the market, thereby reducing the value of the shares you do hold. But all of that got pushed aside because Elon has plunked down the money and is now the new owner of Twitter, which he has promised to take private. And in regard to Twitter, Elon has always kind of been a mythically powerful figure. I mean, you know, his presence is sometimes an SEC violation on its own. If he says something <laughs> about Dogecoin because he likes memes and he likes dogs, all of a sudden this weird crypto has suddenly accrued all of this value and yeah. now 
there's a federal investigation because of something he said that sends markets moving in one crazy direction or another. Yeah, totally. Because of the immediate nature and the lack of any sort of barrier to entry to these platforms, it, it makes people have power and weight and sway in society in a way that hasn't really been possible before social media, right? All of a sudden, we have like a lot of interesting free speech considerations to chew on. That's right. At least the purported reason that Elon Musk wants to take over Twitter is because he feels that having this like public platform of unfettered free speech is crucial to the health and future of our civilization and democratic society. That's the sort of the elevator pitch for him to others about why he wants to buy it, right? Here's him at a recent TED Talk in Vancouver. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, so uh, it, it, it's just really important that people have the, both the, uh, the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Um, and, you know, so one of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm um, and make any changes uh, to people's tweets, you know, if they're emphasized or de-emphasized, uh, that action should be made apparent so you can, anyone can see that that action has been taken. So there's, there's no sort of behind-the-scenes um, manipulation, either algorithmically or manually. Um, yeah. So he says it right there. I don't care about the economics at all. Sometimes Elon just cracks me up in that way, right? Like, it's so, he's the richest man in the world, and he kind of acts like it, right? Yeah. He's a polarizing figure for a lot of reasons. I think the reason why we all have this knee-jerk reaction is because we're like, okay, so the richest guy in the world wants to be the guy who is in charge of all the cars, the guy who's in charge of space, and the guy who's in charge of drilling holes into the earth. And now he's also going to be the guy who's in charge of the single largest and most immediate global communication platform in the history of the world. He says it's his intuitive sense that having a public platform that is maximally trusted and broadly inclusive is extremely important to the future of civilization. Of course it is. The, the question is whether or not you personally should be the guy at the helm of it. I think we can all agree that like having a place where we can exchange ideas is important but it's a rhetorical trick because then if you disagree with him then it's like oh so you don't believe that we need a public platform for these ideas right yeah. like like it's setting up this like false dichotomy and that's mm -hmm. just not really the case he's gaslighting yeah yeah which he does and i think he just has a ball doing it there's another false distinction there which is if it's not Elon, it's just going to be another billionaire. Or like, a collection of billionaires, which is what it is currently. Yeah, one of whom is a Saudi prince. Yes. You know, so it's not like, oh, it's a bunch of saints. It's like it's a bunch of rich guys also. Totally. So one of the other reasons, though, why people I you know are freaking out about this is when you read between the lines of a lot of stuff that he says, you know, it leans towards, like, there is a problem of suppressing free speech on Twitter, right? So... The thing on everyone's mind is like, if Elon was in charge, would someone like Donald Trump still be on Twitter? And would that be a good or bad thing? So, yeah. Um, one of the distinctions that we run into a lot as far as 
free speech is i mean i feel like every third article that says the word free speech has to say but now hang on what free speech really means is that the government can't regulate speech right and we're dealing with these massive corporate hierarchies these massive corporate ecosystems right twitter facebook google all of that stuff is private and essentially can do whatever it wants because that's kind of the law of the land and it's hard for us to reckon with what that means so imagine you know like your favorite mall back in the day when we had malls Mm -hmm. and you know there was like the fountain where you used to like throw coins in yeah and that just was the place where like the smartest thinkers of the age would gather around with their orange julius oh yeah and exchange ideas and they weren't doing it outside they weren't doing it in newspapers they were doing it in the middle of the mall right between the Foot Locker and you know the Sbarro's Be- Beanie Baby kiosk <coughs> the I'm just trying to figure kiosk. out which, which which you know year yeah. in the mid 90s you're conjuring right now this is kind of a hypothetical mall okay, okay. Right. you took me the right mall- there I'm there Maybe. You got it. Yeah. The mall belongs to somebody. It doesn't belong to the people. But it becomes the most important spot for the exchange of ideas, basically in the country. And consequently, as it becomes more popular, you have what's called a network effect. More and more people come there to hear all these ideas exchanged, to participate in the exchange of ideas, to enjoy the Sbarro's Pizza. The mall, in this case, continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. becomes huge and is now super significant and then you have people who start saying crazy stuff as would happen they want to overthrow the government etc etc the mall security says this doesn't sound good so they throw them out and then people are like now hang on a minute they can say that the mall security is like the mall's private baby yeah so what are you gonna do but it's the mall it's the place where all of these ideas happen Mm mm-hmm That's never happened before, obviously. It's an absurd comparison. But when you think back to, like, what was the the agora? What was the marketplace before we had the internet? It was like, that was it. That was like where you went in public to do stuff if Mm -hmm. it wasn't a park, you know? So now, to continue this absolutely wonderful metaphor, Mm. Elon Musk has bought the mall, Stephen. Now it's going to be owned by essentially one guy who's... You know, got a massive amount of control over this, one of the most important platforms yeah. for speech yeah. in at least the Western totally. world. Totally. I mean, Twitter is truly the most important and singular place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> it's not untrue to say that with a bunch of caveats. Like, yeah. I acknowledge that a lot of important stuff goes on there. I acknowledge that it's the place for a lot of different marginalized communities it's certainly a place for a lot of journalists to like play out their careers Mm -hmm. and try and have these conversations that help elevate them and that part of the reason that twitter is so important is because that's where the media lives and works and pulls stories from and that stuff feeds into the mainstream media so it's plugged in in a way that like Facebook is not as important yeah. to oh, what you would consider the mainstream conversation. Yeah, for sure. I'm quite fond of the mall metaphor. And we saw this also play out in the beginning of the war in Ukraine, right? Having the topic up on Twitter and like refreshing it. And it was really interesting to see how Twitter was like 
nine minutes ahead of what was being shown on breaking news on television, which was really mm -hmm. kind of, it was remarkable to see this organism animate itself into being around any of these like crisis situations. So it, it's, a, it's a remarkable and remarkably important tool. Yeah, I mean, if you want to hear what's the latest going on, you go to the wishing well in the middle of the mall and ah. you hear who's talking about what. Yep. So Elon Musk also in his way, mm -hmm. believes that Twitter is kind of a mall. Eh, his metaphor is not as good. But here's what he said after he bought Twitter. Quote, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticating all humans. Which admittedly sounds a little like terrifying yeah. and... Robots. And you don't want to have another human refer to humans like that. Yeah. Let's get <laughs> authenticated together and have a sandwich as we humans enjoy to do. Oh, boy. Yeah. I sure do love this cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's yeah. something wrong with you. How come your eyes appear to be small TVs? So it's important to understand that Elon is a free speech absolutist, and he believes that his better version of Twitter is one in which there will be less restriction on who can say what, and it'll be more of an open marketplace of ideas in which the good ones will survive. Robert Reich, famous economist, mm -hmm. wrote an op-ed in Newsweek in which he offers his critique of the whole thing and says, quote, consumers of social media just don't have much freedom of choice. If consumers don't like what Musk does with Twitter, they cannot simply switch to another Twitter-like platform. There aren't any. The largest social media platforms have grown gigantic because anyone who wants to participate in them and influence debate has to join them. Yeah. After they reach a certain size, they're the only megaphone in town. Where else would consumers go to post short messages that can reach tens of millions of people other than Twitter? So, big mall, Stephen. Big mall. It's a big mall. And you know what? Let's go back to the mall. All right. Get our little mall walking shoes on. Yeah. Those were actual shoes for walking around the mall. Really? Yep. Called mall walkers. You do know a lot about malls. Okay, where are we going? <laughs> oh, um, so there's a couple of different things to think about since we have all acknowledged that apparently this corporate space is where really important public speech is going. One is to think about the role that corporations have in having speech, like oh. Citizens United. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, right. So 2010 ruling Citizens United essentially says corporations have the ability to spend money on campaigns because corporations are kind of like individuals and that means they kind of have the rights of free speech. That's so crazy. It's like, uh, is, what, is it corporate personhood or something? That's corporate personhood, yeah. So Citizens United versus FEC. Yeah, so in this case, you can imagine corporations are like, you know, the Orange Julius. And you go to the Orange Julius, you want to get an Orange Julius, and the person at the Orange Julius lets you know after you get your extra large that they're really interested in electing a president who's very pro-orange. And that makes you uncomfortable mm -hmm. as a person because you're like, well, why should you, Orange Julius, have more ability to influence what kind of fruits the president likes? Yeah. But you have a lot more money, you're Orange Julius. You've been making a wonderful product for a long time. 
So that's kind of in the mix too, right? Like there's this corporate personhood thing. They have the ability to speak out. Yeah. So that's something else that's important to keep in mind in this whole conversation is in addition to us operating in this weird corporate space, there's also corporations that are operating in this corporate space and frankly in the public space outside of it yeah. to influence the kinds of things that are happening in the United States. All right. Um, well, I guess making a mental note to avoid the Orange Julius now because of their, you know, troubling politics. Yeah. And interestingly, not to get too far afield, but the state of Florida could be argued is infringing upon Disney's corporate personhood. Ah. Disney had an opinion about the don't say gay bill. And the state came in and said, well, we're going to penalize you for speaking out. So that'll be interesting to see if that goes anywhere. Totally. I know we didn't see the seams on this one, but you went from Orange Julius, Oranges, Mm -hmm. Florida. This episode brought to you by the Florida Orange (laughs) Council. So Elon runs a show now and he hires all of his little security guards to run around. And these are like the bots Mm -hmm. or whatever to run around and say who can say what and determine who's eligible to come into the new Elon Mall. And these security guards are, at least according to what he's saying, going to be way more lax than the previous ones. Mm. So you'll be able to see more uh, kinds of speech. He's also said, I'm going to follow the laws of the land. So that means you can look at, you know, previous Supreme Court decisions and figure out what that sort of means. And so one of the questions is, are there going to be a lot of, you know, white supremacists and monsters and total weirdos out there saying all this stuff? So one way to look at that is, well, what's Elon going to do about people who incite violence? Well, there's a couple of things there. One, right, is the you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. That's based on a court case called Schenck versus United States in 1919. Charles Schenck and Elizabeth Baer were members of the Socialist Party, and they had been distributing pamphlets to soldiers telling them to fight against conscription, to not go into World War I, and they were convicted under the Espionage Act of 1917, which essentially says anything that obstructs the U.S. war efforts in World War I is against the law. So this case makes it to the Supreme Court where Oliver Wendell Holmes says very famously, Stephen, Mm -hmm. quote, the most stringent protection of free speech would not protect a man falsely shouting fire in a theater and causing a panic. The question in every case is whether the words used are used in such circumstances and are of such a nature as to create a clear and present danger that they will bring about the substantive evils that Congress has a right to prevent. Mm. So we always think of that in literal terms, like somebody shouting fire in a crowded theater causing a stampede. Yeah. And people being hurt. I, but, I, I, this is news to me. This is amazing. I had no idea. Yeah, it was about a couple of people distributing pamphlets socialist saying, hey, propaganda. the war is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah socialist propaganda. Huh. I, I, so, so it's not, because it, 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 this was when? When? The 20s? 1919. It would be a very small theater. Well, they didn't oh, have great Oh, it would be like for the, also, it would be not a movie theater. But like when, when someone says, oh, it's like shouting fire in a the theater, does your mind go movie theater? That's how I've always pictured it. Yes. Okay. Also, Clear and Present Danger. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Heck of a flick. Yeah, and if you look at the Shank case, you realize that it's the beginning of a pattern of cases in which speech is restricted, but kind of only for one side. Around that same time, 1919, Debs versus United States, kind of like Schenck, the court said you can't speak out against the country and the Espionage Act was upheld. 
around that same time, Frowork versus the United States, uh, the court upheld the government's ability to enforce a conspiracy charge from something that somebody wrote in a series of newspapers speaking out against the war. So here in this World War I period, you see people getting in all kind of trouble just for saying war is a bad idea. That's how restrictive it was. And then a little later on, you have Gitlow versus New York in 1925. That's a guy who was distributing a socialist pamphlet. That conviction was upheld. And it just said he was distributing a manifesto to establish socialism with strikes and class action. There were a couple other cases that kind of ran through the 20s into the 50s, in which you would see time and again socialists or communists, people who were organizing, people who were critiquing the government. Maybe they were saying, hey, here's a new order that we want to institute. And the cases would often rest on whether they were actually inciting violence, whether their speech was going to create a conflagration that would destroy the government as it stood. Mm -hmm. And then in 1969, you have Brandenburg versus Ohio, no relation, in which a KKK guy was saying some insightful stuff, that the conviction against him was thrown out. So now you have right-wing speech that was sort of protected. Yeah. So all of this is to say, we think of the line between free speech and incitement as pretty clear because we always have this rule of thumb, shouting fire in a movie theater. Everyone agrees, yeah, shouting fire, that's a bad idea, as though that's really the established law of the land. And again, it shows up all over the place. But then if you look at the history of speech in the last hundred years, it's really way more uncomfortable. Again, it's often about speech that now we would say is protected. It's always political. Yeah. And so you see this kind of trend against left-leaning speech. And it could be as simple as objecting to war or advocating for collective action or, you know, suggesting that maybe we need a whole new government. So the idea that free speech as this unfettered thing that Elon is so hot on as this space of natural selection, it never really existed. And it definitely takes political sides. It's definitely influenced by who's sitting on the highest court of the land at that time. So in that way, Stephen, I think you could say that speech outside of the mall and speech inside the private space of the mall or Twitter or whatever, mm -hmm. it's really not as different as we want to imagine. Not quite as clear-cut as fire in a theater. <laughs> Which, of course, we've learned is in no way clear-cut. It doesn't even refer to the thing we think it does. So malls obviously have movie theaters, Stephen, so can't yell fire in them. Yep. Um, and then the question becomes how much of this kind of inflammatory speech, whether it's the Twitter version of like giving out pamphlets against the war or whatever, are going to be allowed in the new Elon-driven Twitter reality. Yeah. All right. So I guess we're on the probably the second floor of the mall. That's where the theaters usually are, like kind of mm -hmm. in a weird corner where it's like suddenly, wow, we're in a theater. So let's ride down the escalator and, uh, ooh, I think I see uh, some ruffians down by the gumball machines, and they appear to have skateboards. Oh, God, skate punks? Skate punks. This mall is going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> These kids are really congregated out in front of a skateboard shop, skate shop. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So far, so good. Uh, now, in the window of that skate shop is a, is a big banner of a brand that, uh, at first glance, you may think would be a prohibited name. Hmm. What is it? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and spell the letters out to you, right? And then I want you sure. to tell me the tell me the word that I spell. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, okay. F-U-C-T. Fuked. Close. Hawked. Closer. Oh, is it a swear? Fucked. 
Uh-huh. And you know what? It is a homophone for the past tense of the slang word for making love. Um, <laughs> see, you didn't think I was going to get there, but I did. So, Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so there's this brand called Fucked. They're kind of early front runner of streetwear. Been in business since 1991. It was founded by a guy named Eric Brunetti. And fun fact, a famous skateboarder named Nadas Kapas. Uh, who um, I heard legends about this guy growing up as a skateboarder in Santa Monica because he went to uh, Santa Monica High School in the 80s. Um, And I worked at the oldest skate shop in uh, Santa Monica and the second oldest one in LA called Rip City. And anyways, Nadis Kapas and the fucked brand was actually something I had been aware of since I was a young shithead dude, right? All of that is to say, the brand fucked tried to go for a trademark a few years back, and it was denied that trademark based on a precedent of something called the Lanham Act of 1946. And it says that the government can't reject a brand name because it viewed the words or messages as, quote, scandalous or immoral. In the decision, Justice Kagan cited a few different examples of times where trademarks were denied to brands like marijuana cola because they would, quote, glamorize drug abuse, right? But then in other cases, trademarks were awarded to anti-drug messages such as say no to drugs, reality is the best trip in life because, you know, Mm. that would get all those cool kids on the straight and narrow. So it's basically saying, hey, look, we can't pick and choose what is awarded a trademark or not based on our own personal preferences, right? But the dissenters felt that this decision would trigger a tidal wave of applications for trademarks for all the worst stuff in the world, and that the government would be hamstrung in its ability to deny them based on this precedent. So potentially, the Orange Julius could be run out of business by the newer and much more popular, fuck you, these are smoothies. Yes, spelled F-U-C. Of course. Which stands for... Fun Urban Creamy I was going to say Fun Urban Cherries, but... There you go. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of this info from a really great LA Times article that came out about this back in 2019. And in that article, uh, the writer quotes a Los Angeles-based lawyer named Doug Morell. And that lawyer says, quote, after a while, the novelty will wear off and people might be offended. So I think the market will impose some caution on trademarks, which basically says, look, Yeah, it could happen. You could have all of these terrible sounding trademarks out there, but people will just not buy them. And then the brand will go out of business. That's the question with this new and improved version of Twitter. If the floodgates are thrown open and everybody can be in there and there's all kinds of different crazy speech that is more or less protected because, again, it's private. Elon's running them all. And it can be a place where bananas stuff is said at all times, like Truth Social or Gab or any of those more right wing ones. Then the question becomes, is everyone just going to fly the coop? Are people going to leave? Or to go back to Robert Reich's concern, are we all just trapped in this big mall because it's the only place where people really congregate and there's nowhere else to go? We're locked in by the size of this thing. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of ways it can go wrong. But again... Twitter, not really that great. I never use it and come away thinking about how great I feel as a result of it. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a lot of room for improvement. Definitely the people who were running it before eh, weren't doing the most amazing job. So it could get better. Yeah. We, we all have to be 
careful to just like immediately say the only possible conclusion here is an awful one. That's not necessarily the case. I think the magic balance we're looking for is something like what Elon is at least giving lip service to, which is anybody should be able to say whatever within the confines of the laws of that nation. And if those ideas are dangerous, if they're misinformed, if they're intentionally disinformation, there should be transparency into how those ideas came before you and also an ability to investigate the truth of those claims. Totally. And this whole conversation is happening against this backdrop of people not knowing what's true and what's false anymore. So free speech becomes very interesting in this world right now, because even if the Twitter algorithm is like, learn more about COVID-19, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, yeah, says who? And the uncomfortable thing comes down to, again, faith and then therefore like, well, do you trust the authority that is running the show? And there are a lot of people who will trust Twitter a lot more if Elon's at the helm. And then there's other people who won't. So we're still reckoning with like, what does this corporate thing mean? Are we going to take Twitter and, you know, turn that into a utility? That's one thing people talk about is making utilities out of these things. People are very resistant to that because, you know, the idea of a government-run Twitter is really kind of wild. We also know that, like, our government and governments in general and people in power lie all the time and have done so and are doing so right now, too. It's naive to think that that, it doesn't happen either. So it all, all of a sudden, you get put into this spin cycle of what do we know, who to trust, should Elon take care of Twitter? I don't know. What what, What did you do to me in this episode, Brandon? I'm just asking questions, Steve. Oh, man. Just asking questions. <laughs> uh, are we still in the mall? I think we can leave now. Okay. That's, that's the tricky part about these extended metaphors is that there's no indication exactly of when we leave. Yeah. Well, like this giant mall that is Twitter, yeah. we never know when we're entirely out of it. Yeah. We never know when we're entirely outside of its influence. Yep outside of its shadow. Yeah. It's terrifying. Exactly. For all we know, we're in a very large atrium within an infinitely large mall. Okay, let's leave the mall. Okay. We're we're back, baby. So big news, Twitter has a new master. It's going private. Mm -hmm. The mall has new management. Yeah. It's, yeah, but it's like a new, and it literally like an eccentric billionaire bought it. Yeah. Yeah. We live in a comic book. Yeah. A comic book or yeah, like an 80s ski movie. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I, for one, can't wait to see what's going to happen. What are they going to do to the wishing well? What kind of new kiosks? What's the beanie baby of 2022? And will it watch us while we sleep? That's freaky. Actually, though, I can't believe in a, this is true. But last month, Gary Busey did get banned from Twitter. He did? No. Damn it. Ah! America's <laughs> largest purveyor of Gary Busey disinformation. Stephen Jackson, everybody. This has been Journos. I am Brandon R. Reynolds. I'm Stephen Jackson. We will see you next time. Yeah. Journos is produced by Gary Busey. No, no, it's not. No, it's it's not. Fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on Gary Busey. Yeah. (laughs) When they say cut, you get to get up, wipe off the blood, change your clothes, and go home. Isn't it neat? (laughs) 